0: of an interview with ventriloquist Jay Johnson from Soap. Stay tuned. Hello once again and welcome to another edition of the TV Series Finale Podcast. It is August 8th in the year 2008 and I am your host, Trevor Kimball. If you're a regular listener, thanks very much for joining me once again. And if this is your first time listening, I want you to know that this podcast is part of tvseriesfinale.com, a website that's devoted to talking about the last episodes of various TV shows, reunions, and revivals. Today, we've got the second half of my interview with Tony-winning ventriloquist Jay Johnson. He is perhaps best known to television audiences for playing Chuck Campbell and his surly wooden friend Bob in the 1970s sitcom Soap. If you haven't listened to the first part yet, you might want to download that first. In that episode, we talked about Jay's early career, how he was cast in the show, the controversy surrounding Soap, and a lot of great anecdotes about his fellow actors. We continue now with asking Jay to recount some more memories about some of the guest stars on Soap. Any memories of any guest stars that walked through, that came through? Oh, you had so many. Yeah, uh,
1: uh, William Daniels um, played a detective for a while. Um, yes, uh, Jack, the Nazi. Jack Gilford. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Jack Guilford played. Uh, I guess I forget whether Saul. he was the alien or.
0: Yeah, no. Well, he was. He was. His name was Saul, and he was. Uh, Richard Mulligan met him on the spaceship. Yes. And yes. he was actually from Rome. That's point. right.
1: Well, he was, you know, here's a guy that's that got so much experience and, and done so much that all you have to do is say, hey, hey, Jack, how you doing today? And he'll go, you know, that reminds me of a time. <laughs> you're, you're off. Charlie Lane played the judge when yes. he got the trial. Charlie Lane was one of those guys that had been in every I Love Lucy, every um, December Bride, every 50s sitcom that they ever had. Everything. Had a great story. Uh, Eugene Roach. Yes. And, no longer around. Um y- Malou. He made me laugh. At, at, at anything, I mean, he he was just always up, always happy. Everything was the best day of his life. And if you were around him, you could not help but be just enthused to be alive with him. You know.
0: And they seem to try to come up with reasons to bring him back. I mean, every time there was a lawsuit oh, yeah. or a, or a court scene, yeah, he'd be and, back and, there.
1: And there's good reason for that because you really just wanted to be around Gene. I mean, he just was uh, was a light. You know, just a light. We miss him a lot. Yeah. That's wonderful, and I'm trying to think. There, there was merely so uh, John Biner was yes. was less of a of a guest star than he was a regular for a while, and uh, uh, I love John to this day because he again was somebody that would entertain you. And um, occasionally, John Biner would become uh, Dean Martin, and Billy Crystal would become a Jerry Lewis, and <laughs> they were perfect. They were perfect at lampooning this this old comedy team, and 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 just immediately start ad libbing things that would have you on the floor. At a moment's notice, they would become these guys.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. And, uh, 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 the yeah. other one was
1: uh, Joe Montaigne. I have to say that Joe Mantegna, <laughs> yes uh, is still a friend and, and helped me uh, get started in my workshop by investing uh, in my one-man show. So not only is a friend, but he, he uh, has, has helped me out in more ways than not. But he played Juan Juan, and I had no idea how good Joe Montaigne was. All I knew is that he had that character down. He, he could make, yes. his, make his life with just, I don't know, Yes. Kill me, kill me. Yes. So yeah, yeah too
0: just... many,
1: too many great people that came through that that show to even even count. I'm, I know I'm missing somebody that. that
0: uh, uh, Howard Hessman.
1: Talking. Oh <laughs> of course Howard. Yes, Howard. Uh, uh, Howard, of course. You know another big star. It was uh, one of the guys in the I believe it was the committee at the time. You know the improv group. Um, they were hot. They were very hard. Maybe it was Ace Trucking Company. I'm not sure, but he was one of those guys that I'd seen on the late night. Uh, uh, variety shows and tonight shows and stuff and there he was I, I got to be his friend
0: and i think and if i'm not mistaken both he and gordon jump kind of got wkrp yeah i think yes. after soap. yes as
1: a matter of fact i i think that um that soap still had gordon under contract to play uh um what a piece of chili uh, <laughs>
0: chief of police um, tinkler
1: that's right but we called him the piece of chili yes uh, and um and they still had him for a, a few shows when he when he was cast in wkrp and he went to them and say said you know I've, I've, I've I happen to do this part and everything and I think in, in one of their their kinder moments they said Gordon look we love you over here and we love your character but this is really a chance to do something over there that could run a while and you're their lead so go do that and uh, that was really sweet.
0: Yeah that's that's wonderful. So okay the other regular cast member that we never saw but obviously heard every week was the narrator Rod Roddy. Oh God Rod Roddy. Did he was he part of your set your you know. Your cast, so to speak, or
1: was that just kind of filled in later? That was filled in later. He would occasionally come down and watch the taping so that when he did the voiceover, he would know what that scene meant and stuff. So he was around not a lot, but enough. But th- when I was going to uh, to college and in, in late high school in Dallas, Texas, I, the Top 40 station was KLIF. And at the time, they were kind of m- morphing from, uh, from Top 40 into sort of late night, they would become a talk radio show. Right. And there was a guy on that... Uh, long before we knew what uh, uh, what Joe Pine or some of the other guys that would just rattle on people. He had a talk show, and people would call in and go, no, shut up, I and hang up on it. You're just yeah. dumb. And he would just be so rude to these people. But I kept finding myself listening to this guy. And uh, over the years, you know, I, I moved away, and suddenly I'm sitting in the auditorium, the bleachers of soap, and there's somebody behind me that comes in and sits down, and, and I hear him say something to, to the person next to him, and I, I realize, wow, I know that voice. And he says something else. He says, well, yeah, does this. And, and I know the voice again. And I'm thinking, that's the voice. That is the voice on the radio that I used to loathe and despise. This is the man I used to hang up on my friends in wow. Dallas. It was just, and then he says, uh, well, yeah, I'm Rod Roddy to, the, to somebody and go, that is the guy, it was Rod Roddy. So I hadn't realized that he was the guy. So I turned around thinking that I was going to see this really mean, awful man. And I turned sure. around and he's this teddy bear of a of a man who's got this infectious smile. And I said, Rod Roddy, I'm Jay Johnson. He goes, oh, my God. And, it, and I said, I grew up in Dallas. And he stopped <laughs> him and he said, you hated me, right? <laughs> and I said, I did. I did. I hated you. And he said, you know, I had to leave that job because the the more I was hated, the more ratings we got and the more Gordon and McClendon loved that and, and would keep me doing it. But he said, I, it, it just it, it made me feel bad to go home at night knowing that people yeah. hated me. And so... We became friends because of that. And then later when I did a show called uh, So You Think You Got Troubles, um, they were kind of looking for an Ed McMahon kind of character to bounce around with Bob. And I said, get Rod Roddy because we have a great history. And so he was he was kind of my uh, Ed McMahon for a while and, and love Rod. Oh, that's, and again, yeah, somebody great. we miss went, went away too soon.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Um, the writing on the show, for the most part, I think it was pretty consistent, but it kind of started to do a little bit of a downturn, I think, you know, get a little lost um, during, like, jumping season the shark, three. <laughs> well, I mean, some people would consider that Jumping the Shark was the uh, the possessed baby, the spaceship. But to me, because the actors totally bought into it and it was done, you know, straight, yeah. I, I don't feel like that's the Jumping of the Shark at all. Maybe the third time that Jessica died, maybe... <laughs> You know, that, you know, well, OK, here's
1: here's the reality of this is um, the show started out uh, written by Susan Harris completely. Every right. word, every moment, every essence, every character was Susan Harris's mind. And she yes. is a terrific thinker and a, an incredible writer. And, you know, Golden Girls and all the other shit she's had to prove that out. Right. But eventually, after a couple of years, that yes. is the schedule nobody can do. I don't care how good you are. You can't keep up with that. Right. right. And to replace her, they literally brought in teams and teams of writers, from Jenna McMahon and Dick Clare to uh, uh, Stu Silver and uh, and, and Barry uh, uh, Viscoff, I believe it his name is his name. There must have been 20 writers that came in for a brief moment and, and, and left, you know? Right, sure. And, and no one really ever was able to hit that level that she had established. And I, I think she established this incredible peak. And... And there, there was probably a falling off from that eventually until we went uh, we off the air. But because she had established it so high, you didn't notice how far it had fallen because we were still very way up there, you know?
0: Right. Well, I think ultimately the show kind of lost a singular voice. Yes. Yes, it did. And,
1: and there were too many plots. And there, they weren't cohesive. And they were, they were plots for the sake of being bizarre. And the wonderful thing about Soap starting out was the fact that, yes, it was bizarre. But this family element, you have two families that shouldn't be families, but they are. They are so bizarre that they blow each other apart when they get together. Right. But eventually what brings them back is that they are family. They get back together. You can't tell Chuck and Bob to go fly a kite because that's your son, you know? Right, right, Absolutely. Whatever he is, he's your son. Right. So I think that ultimately the writers were writing uh, uh, plots and not uh, family stories, you know? That's probably what did it, but yeah. who knows? Who yeah. knows?
0: Well, at at one point I was just watching the final episode and something that struck me that, that kind of keys off of what you just said is that in the early parts of the show everybody was a little bit odd, you know, whether it was outwardly odd like Chuck and Bob or it was, you know, Corinne's obsession with a priest. Yeah. Um, you know, she looked perfectly normal, but she had a few things going on behind closed doors. But everybody treated everybody like, well, okay, you know, you got your stuff, I got my stuff and you know, you're we're fine. But in the later seasons, I feel like the characters started to bring out that they felt the other characters were weird, that they were strange and whatnot, and they were less accepting. It's like, okay, well, it's okay if we, as the audience are thinking that, but the other characters, it's like, well, all right, but Bert, really, you thought you were invisible two seasons ago. Come on. Yeah. Yeah. When you start
1: commenting on your, on, on your own, uh, uh, if that's a success or your own um, identity, then you're right. It, it, I'd never thought about that, but that's that's exactly right. Uh, it should be just exist to exist, not not exist for a commentary for people coming in saying, oh, isn't this bizarre?
0: Right. So the show was canceled after four seasons. I believe you guys were canceled after you had finished shooting the fourth season. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah.
1: It, it, we We heard about it when we should have been hearing that we were picked up for the next season, which happened... If we stopped shooting in uh, March, April, March, April, then the, the season didn't get uh, re-upped until May. So it was, it was a month and a half. Right. And what we thought, what we'd been told, was that the show was successful enough that they had decided to make it an hour show so they could accommodate all these other unfinished storylines. So we would actually be doing an hour show rather than a 30-minute show. Right. Or maybe they would do it twice a week, or maybe they'd do something else. And so... We were all thinking, okay, we're going to have to renegotiate. We're all kind of gearing up to do more work. The costume people called two weeks before we were canceled to say, look, we need to come in and get some more costumes in the in the can so we don't have to spend the time. And, and we just assumed we were gearing up to uh, to go balls out, and then we got the call that it was uh, no longer there, which was a real uh, no one explained. Just like, well, we didn't get a pickup. And it
0: just became weird. And the, final, and the final episodes were actually our episodes, so I'd heard that they kind of took the half hours that they made and kind of re-edited them together and whatnot to make our episodes, which it's interesting to see in syndication. I don't know if you've noticed it, but if you see it in syndication, there's some scenes that are missing completely. When they chop them back into paid, a half hour.
1: I haven't paid them. It's just, and I, I tell you, toward the the last season, what was happening was instead of shooting a show, we were shooting out of sequence. We, you know, the Chuck and Bob scene that I would do might go in show, uh, 93. It might go in show 91. It might go in show 87. It right. really, it would kind of put it in. And, and so you'd have a script that obviously had these different plot lines going on that, that they could fit in anywhere. And again, that's a hard way to shoot anything that's going to be cohesive because you can't you can't refer to even as an actor what happened because you're not in the sure before yeah because you don't know what happened in the scene before right so yeah it it was just odd you know it was obviously um television had grown from HBO being just some cable thing in New York to a time when it looked like it might actually go nationwide you know?
0: right so, right odd. so the final episode is anybody who loves the show knows was left with nothing but cliffhangers. Jessica was in front of a firing squad. Bert yep. was about to get ambushed. Danny was about to get shot by Chester. Jody was stuck in the past life as an old Jewish guy. I think that was all of the all of the cliffhangers.
1: Chuck and Bob were in the kitchen trying to get a sandwich. Yes,
0: we so <laughs> were always in the kitchen. The most unsolved everything. story of all. Um, <laughs> exactly, but but Jody's character, uh, the the old Jewish guy, uh, Julius. He liked Chuck and Bob, so, you know, it, it yeah. was going to be a different household. Oh, and, and uh, Bert Burton Mary's baby was probably an alien baby.
1: Yes, it, it already displayed a, a, a great artistic ability, and... Um, um yeah, I, who knows? At one point they said, oh, they've, they've canceled the show so they'll make a movie out of it like they they would today, probably. And, right. and I think at one time even Bob Guillaume had uh, optioned the rights to do that. And then, you know, as time went by, it got really obvious that you could never get those people back together. Um, yeah. And and it just was never going to work. But uh, yeah. that would have been a fun movie. It was, ended up with all of us dying or something. You right. Know? Everybody ends up a plane, we crash. Who knows? Right,
0: absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Well, and these days, I mean, Several of the cast members have passed on, so yep. very, yep. very difficult. Uh,
1: Catherine Damon first, uh, and quite suddenly and, and unknown and unwind. and then well, Arthur, I think, developed uh, dementia, and and so he was out of the out of the loop before we lost him uh, out of our uh, out of our sphere. But uh, yeah, just slowly, those sort of things happen. And the unfortunate thing is that is the fortunate thing. We were the younger members of that cast, and right. We have to see our, our older friends um, get older and move on and and pass away. I, there's, I've got this great picture that's on my wall that I just love. It's it's Mulligan squeezing the neck of Bob at the kitchen, and everybody's in a panic. And Bert is obviously trying to kill uh, Bob. Right. And I right. love that picture. It's just got a lot of movement in it, and it's it's got Kevin Damon and Richard and me and Ted and Billy and all of us right there in the kitchen, the whole family. And
0: that's and that's the scene after after he lets go with Bob's neck. You can see kind of where Bob's neck connects to his body. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And and
1: I didn't want to do that. I said, you know, Jay uh, Sandrich was directing. I said, you know, we're seeing that stick. He said, no, no, no. Okay, <laughs> we need to see the stick. It's going to be very funny. And Richard should push, push it down. And there was all this stuff. But I was passing by that picture maybe um, five years ago. And I walked past and I looked at it and I smiled. And I said, wait a minute, wait a minute. I am older now than Richard or Catherine or anybody in that picture. Wow. I am, I'm older than than they were when that picture was taken now. Sure. And I don't feel that old. I don't feel that much different. I still think of them as older than me. Right. They were much older at the time. And it was this great kind of time warp that I kinda of went, Wow, you know yeah. how did how did they perceive us? How did they perceive us as these uh, upstarts that are on the set, you know, not not fully appreciating that they have a hit show, uh, you know, their first time out, you know
0: Right. No, absolutely. So have you ever had any thoughts about what happened after the last episode? Any ideas for yourself?
1: You know, I I have, until this moment, no one's ever asked me that. And probably, I I wouldn't have a good answer anyway because uh, at that point, we were just trying to keep up with our scenes, you know, because of this kind of, the way it was being shot. And so, I really didn't know. I wasn't, in that week when that last episode with, with, uh, uh, Catherine, uh, with Jessica was shot. Right. I, I wasn't there when they did the thing with Bert. I, if I wasn't in that scene, I probably didn't even read the script. Sure. So, uh, I can look at it now and go, geez, I didn't know that happened. You know, and, right. uh, not too long ago. Um, this is, this kind of tells you how, how weird life is. Um, my kids weren't even born when we did that show and they know Bob Mandan as my friend. They later when, Comedy Central syndicated soap, and they started watching. They and they said, Bob Mandan. Oh my God, he's, he he was there. And I said, Yeah, that's where we met. Well, one night, not too long ago, I'm I'm I hear the television on in the den, and, and my youngest son is up. Obviously, has fallen asleep in front of the television. I think so. make my way down the hall I come into the den, and and I see him. He is not asleep on the couch. He is watching a show, and I turn. And just as I turn on our big screen television, there is Chuck and Bob coming through the door in their bathrobes on the television. Exactly the same moment. I come in in my bathrobe through this door and I'm standing there looking at myself 30 years longer, watching my son watch me, watch me come in that I'm about. And there was this time warp of of what is time you know what what is it what absolutely it, it was a moment that I can't explain but I and what was even weirder to me is that I looked and knew that that was a scene I was in but could not tell you what the next thing I was going to say did not know what was going to happen I got completely hooked into what What is going here? What What is Chuck and Bob going to do? I'm not even sure.
0: Right, right. And,
1: of course, my son thought I was nuts. You know? <laughs> well, you did it, Dad. I was, yeah, it was a long time ago. Yeah, it's it it. a
0: long time ago, and I did it, you know, a few times. And Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so you've obviously, after Soap Ended, you've obviously done a lot of television work, and one of the things that you did was an episode of Empty Nest. Yes, I did. In the fourth season, and it was a, and it was an odd episode.
1: Very odd. It was one of those looping episodes that connected three different uh, shows with Golden Girls and everything else. Yes, you know, so. yes,
0: and it was and it aired on uh, February 29th, so it was a a leap day, so to speak. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. And so I guess that was the reason why there were so many odd things going on. And in your episode was also Chuck McCann and uh, Betty White.
1: Yeah, Chuck was playing, I think a werewolf dog, I think. And um, Betty White was there. Betty, a lovely, lovely lady. I'd I'd known her for a a long time before uh, even soap. And uh, she's, she's great. But um, there was an odd thing that happened on, on that series. And uh, again, I don't, I don't know that I've talked about this ever. And there, there is an, there is an odd feeling when you go back and work for these producers that you knew them in their first show. Now yeah. they are huge. Yeah, They were never particularly friendly to us anyway. i got to say, we, we, the, the producers were not people that we would ever hang out with. You know, the cast, different things. Right. The producers were our bosses. They were not always nice. We knew that at a moment's notice they could write us out and be happy about it. So with that in mind, I come back to the set to do a show. My friend Dinah Manoff is directing that show. Oh, OK. Uh, Richard Mulligan is doing that show. Yes. Uh, Betty White is on that show. And it and it was the producers used to work with. Now, I am really aware now that I'm I'm really the new old kid on the block. They decided, I don't know if you remember this scene very well, but at first, um girl that plays the cop and her, her friend, uh, the her Jew, uh, what's her name?
0: Christy Mc... Was it Christy McNickel? Thank you, Christy McNickel. Yes. Gosh,
1: you know what? I'm glad you're there to prompt my old bones to the mention. Uh, you'll edit all that out. Right? Absolutely. Were, Absolutely. Saying, oh, my best friend. Okay. Um, well, the, the scene was that they come to the door and they hear a fight between a man and a woman and it's just getting out of hand and, and they knock on the door and finally say, uh, uh open the door right now. And the door opens and it's now what we realize is a man arguing with a puppet. who's a woman. Right. So the whole dynamic changes between a family disturbance to uh, insanity call, yes. you know, and that was the scene. That was the scene. So they decided. That the audience shouldn't see me and the puppet on the set before they saw it on the screen to get the full impact. It makes sense. So they they dropped a curtain between the audience and uh, the stage and just had the monitors on so they could only see the scene uh, through the television. Well, you know, you get laughs in rehearsals, and, and you, you're you trying to get everyone you do, and you know pretty much where, where they are. Right. That's the first time with an audience. So they come to the door, bang, 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 let us in. I go to the door, open the door. Now, always in rehearsal, the minute that door opened, there would be a laughter like, oh, oh, geez, I get it. How weird is that? There was nothing. There was no, the audience had no reaction
0: whatsoever. So they were shocked more than anything?
1: Well... I just didn't know. So you go on with the scene, and, and I remember looking at, at, at Christy, and Christy kind of looked at me, and uh, we kind of exchanged looks like, well, hmm, they'll have to bump that up. So we go on with the scene, and, and there was one line that was always getting, uh, she said, What is going on here? And I said, Well, geez, you know, you go to Vegas, you meet somebody, who knows? It's, and you'd always get a laugh. We got to that line. I'm leaning on it. There is nothing. There's nothing, no laugh. There wasn't a reaction of any kind in that scene, no laughter, no no giggling, no, I get it, no shock, no awe. There was absolutely no reaction from the audience. Well, now it's just totally quiet, and the phone rings on the set. And I have been with these producers before. I've seen this happen. That phone just rang, Uh and they're going to tell the stage manager that this scene isn't working. Move on. We'll probably not shoot it again. I mean, I know. I've been there. So the phone rings. And they say, uh, Jay, um, it's for you. So I walk very slowly over to this phone, and I pick it up, and it's Dinah who's up in the booth, and she said, "I don't know, I don't know. It's very funny. I just want you to know it's not you. I don't know what it is, but it's very, very funny. I've been watching it. It's exactly like we did. They'll feel bad. This, this is. It's very funny. I don't know what happened. And so she hangs up, and and I go back to sit down, and everybody's going, "Geez, what happened? Oh my God!" Well, to make this long weird story finish, they found out that when they dropped the curtain, they had disconnected. The the uh, uh, electricity to the um, uh, feed to the monitors in the audience. Oh. so the audience was sitting in the darkness, barely able to hear what was going on the set, and not wanting to react because they didn't want me to miss what they're going to hear. Right, and they're assuming that eventually they would find out that they're sitting in the dark and somebody would come and help them. <laughs> so we got to film this in again, and then it got the laughs and everything. But there was this moment when I I realized that I was um, I was gone that I was. Yeah. I was answering that phone to have Paul Witt saying, Thank you very much. Good nice to see you again. Bye. <laughs> and uh <laughs> too much angst. You know, four years of working with these people, you know, just four years of angst in that one one
0: cross there. And getting and getting big laughs for all four years and then Oh yeah, let's <gasps> yeah. bring it back oh, yeah. and Huh. Yeah, yeah. He must so have my, lost my big time
1: it. About, the only person that could play this part is Jay Johnson. Oh, man, what happened to him? You know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, it, 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 I'm glad you remembered that for me, because that was uh, that was a traumatic, wonderful, funny time. And it was great. You know, I had a great time. Everything's terrific. But that moment was awful.
0: Now, a few years after that, in 1999, okay, on That 70s Show, yes. <laughs> the Van Stock episode, which was loosely based around different soap operas and whatnot, Right. And you get to the final credits, and Chuck and Bob are there with Rod Roddy announcing what will happen in the next episode.
1: Isn't that amazing? The last <sighs> time I saw Rod Roddy was uh, on that show. And, and Unbelievable. I got how,
0: uh, how did that come about?
1: One of the writers of the 70s show, uh, I forget Mark's last name, but uh, uh, he was a writer on something around the time of soap. Anyway, he was a big soap fan. Now he was uh, the showrunner for the show. And I guess that he just had a thing for Chuck and Bob and, and wanted some way to get them into the show and thought the 70s was a great relationship to the, the soap days. And so they called and, you know, um, it did all that. And the, the fun part was that, that they just let Bob and I go for about, you know, 10 minutes on the set while we're doing <laughs> it. I mean, we just went on and on. And on. And of course, you know, I think it got down to 30 seconds or something, but somewhere in the vaults, there was a... There was a moment when, when Bob and I got to be, uh, uh, you know, 20 years old again and start uh, going crazy, you know.
0: So Oh, no, just absolutely wonderful. The The shame of it is, is that I've seen that show, that episode in syndication, and it gets clipped. Yeah, of
1: course, of course, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, Rod did such a wonderful job, and it was suddenly, it was that, you know, uh, that whole soap thing coming back and... Uh, I thought it was a a wonderfully obscure homage to something that probably the average viewer of the '70s show had no idea. But we could right. do it anyway.
0: Not the not the typical audience. No, definitely not uh, the '70s show.
1: <laughs> and I tell you, it, one of the great things about uh, uh, one of the things that made me feel good was that there was a lot of conversation between you know my people and their people saying. How does he look? Does he still look enough like Chuck and Bob? Does he, I mean, is he is he fifty pounds overweight? Has he lost his hair? Is he you know those wrinkles? Are they still? It's everybody saying no, no, it's it's fine. Yeah, everything will just be fine. Said uh, Bob may look a, lif, a little different, uh, but I think you know it'll, it'll still work. It'll still look like so.
0: That was that was my immediate thought. Yeah, well, Chuck, uh, Bob looks. You know, Jay looks great, Bob. Well, yeah, he's just, he has he's let just, himself he's go. He's just
1: gone. He's just gone, and. And the the one thing was they put us back in those uh, Chuck and Bob wigs that uh, that hairstyle I haven't worn in such a long time. It was it was hot and uncomfortable. I remember <laughs> how did I do this for all those years? Um,
0: you've obviously done a lot of episodic television over the years. You were in a couple episodes of Give Me a Break, yeah. um, Simon and Simon. You did Facts of Life, a couple of Dave's World. Any particular memories of any of those that, that stand out to you?
1: They were all they were all wonderful. One of the ones that sticks out immediately is one that uh, I just did within the last year that was an episode of CSI. And, yes. Um, uh, I played the father of the miniature killer. And what I remember most is CSI, what a wonderful show. We're filming one of those flashback scenes where the little girl has jumped out of the swing or died or whatever, and she's there and bleeding, obviously. And so the director says, uh, all right, let's, uh, let's light it up here. I need some blood. And the prop man said, what kind? And I've never heard a prop man say what kind of blood. But in his truck, he's got uh, 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 day-old blood, uh, sure. uh, spreading blood, uh, uh, blood that's fresh, blood that's too eight. I mean, he had a truck full of different kinds of CSI blood. And the question was, what are we filming here? And right. that just made me laugh.
0: No, that's great. That's great, and I've heard I've heard from other people that they have nothing but good things to say about when they shot on CSI. That oh, it, it's it a was, great family. And,
1: it was terrific. Uh, William Peterson. I remember we actually shot most of it in uh, in Las Vegas, and there was a scene um, that it was my close up, and and a guy came up right next to us at the bar and and fixed a blender drink. Or just, <laughs> so it just so went all over my dialogue, and I heard them say, "Okay, print, let's move on," and and it was. <sighs> <laughs> the star of the show, Bill Peterson, who said, hold it, wait a minute, you're not going to do that. You're not going to subject this man to looping for the next week of his life. You know, let's <laughs>
0: just shoot it again.
1: And because he was the star of the show, I got to have another take, and
0: it was okay. So, Oh, that's nice. That's nice, nice to man. hear. So tell me about your your Broadway show. Uh, it started, I believe, you started doing it in the Los Angeles area?
1: We workshopped it here, yeah. Um, then took it uh, off-Broadway at the Atlantic Theater. Ran for about uh, three or four months there. Got uh, such wonderful reviews and such wonderful notices uh, from the New York people and community that there was immediate talk of moving it immediately to Broadway. And uh, I never thought this was a particular a Broadway show. I thought it would be a great right. off-Broadway show. I didn't think it was Broadway, but they kept talking. Finally, you know, an immediate move to Broadway from off-Broadway is sometimes a year and a half, and ours was just about that. So we took it to uh, the Helen Hayes in, on Broadway, and uh, it's not an easy show to sell. It's not... It's not a musical. It's not a uh, drama. It's not uh, a one-person show. It's a multiple-person show with one person. And Absolutely. It's a story. Of ventriloquism is a story of me. You know, it's okay for kids to see, but it's not a children's show. It, it was tough. So, sure. We we kind of um, again got fabulous reviews on Broadway. Got nothing but uh, wonderful uh, uh, statements. Kind of struggled with the uh, with the ticket sales and eventually closed. But then uh, immediately get a Tony nomination and and eventually won the Tony for that show. So.
0: Which okay. is absolutely amazing. So you won the 2007 Tony for Best Special Theatrical Event?
1: Yes, which means it's not a play and it's not a musical. Right. And and the definition of special event is kind of, kind of odd. It, it implies that this show can only be done by this person. And oddly enough, the uh, 2000, let's see, I'm 2007, that's fine, 2004, 2004, 2005, yeah, 2005, uh, Tony for Best Special Theatrical Event. Was went to Billy Crystal for right. seven hundred
0: Right. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: So it was only it was only kind of right. And at one point, had the schedule worked out, I would have been at the Helen Hayes Theater. I mean, uh, the Helen Hayes Theater, and he would have been at the Broadhurst Theater right across the street at exactly the same moment. We oh, just wow. got delayed. And, wow. And, and we, we came in a couple of seasons later, but. Uh, uh, yeah.
0: That's incredible. How how was it to play on Broadway? I mean, that must be just unbelievable. It is.
1: It is. First of all, for what I do. A uh, live performance is just the way to see it. It's the way to do it. Right. Live theater is what we all got into this for. It's back again to that little child. That uh, how much attention can you get from people
0: that immediately will clap? Immediately. Yes. You don't
1: have to wait till the reviews are out or the tape is edited or a director tells you you did a good job. It's plus right there immediately.
0: Plus you're completely in control of your performance. Versus oh, exactly. Tape or film.
1: And this was, you know, this was a show that that I wrote. I I designed. I started and I was the I was the only guy that I really had to answer to, except when it got to the money part, and the, you know, people that were actually spending it. Uh, but other than that, creatively, it was everything I wanted to do, and um, and it was tremendously satisfying. There, we just took it to, to London, had a had a short run over there, um, but got again. Uh, I'm I'm glad to say, delightful reviews. And yeah. uh, at one point, um, they told me that uh, the uh, the British audiences don't necessarily ever stand to give a standing ovation, and that was kind of what we expected, you know, every right. night. Sure. Um, so it was good. We had a, we had a great time. And, and I, I will do that show for as long as I can, for as long as they'll let me do it, because it, it's a story that I love to tell. It involves exactly what we have been talking about, soap. It involves my love of ventriloquism. It involves my uh, memories of childhood. It involves my memories of my mentor who meant things to me and teachers you have and mm-hmm. the art that you see. And it's just all the stories I like to tell in one, right. one evening.
0: Do you plan? Uh, did you ever take the the show on tour around the country? We did. We, we were waiting
1: on this this uh, uh, London thing, and, and we were sort of taking spot bookings so that we didn't get a long extended stay to, you know, have to cancel and go over there at any moment's notice. And so we've done a few little one nighters and hit runs around here, which is not uh, anything uh, that that we can't repeat or or a market that we have exhausted. I think that there's a there's a big a big market to take it around to other theaters for longer stories
0: sure. And, and. sure absolutely I, w- I would definitely think so and that's going to wrap up this edition of the podcast I want to thank Jay once again for his time and willingness to do this interview I hope that you listeners enjoyed hearing it as much as I enjoyed doing it if you'd like to learn more about Jay, head on over to his regular website, monkeyjoke.com, or check out the site for his Broadway show, The Two and Only, at thetwoandonly.com. As always, I enjoy hearing from you. Either your feedback on the podcast, or if you have any questions, you can email at podcast at tvseriesfinale.com, or leave a message on our voicemail at 213-985-1014. If you'd like to receive these podcasts automatically, you can subscribe for free via iTunes or other podcast subscription software. If you like the show and would like to support it, please leave a review on iTunes or whatever podcast directory you happen to like. By doing this, you help promote the show and make it possible for more people to find it. And of course, don't forget to visit tvseriesfinale.com for the latest cancellation news, past podcasts, videos, and details on the last episodes of your favorite shows. I'm your host, Trevor Kimball, and until next time, stay tuned.